Hi, I'm Brianne Bennis, and this is No End in Sight, a podcast about life with chronic illness. You might have noticed that we've got a brand new logo in your podcast app. I'm pretty jazzed about it, and it will eventually be followed by new graphics on Instagram and a website refresh. So keep your eyes open for all these fancy updates. We also got a new Apple podcast review this week from Erica Lu- <laughs> Erica L. Umish, I think is what it is, that said, relatable and interesting. I love this podcast as I also have a chronic illness, and with every story, there is something to learn about others with similar or very different chronic illnesses. I think the questions and issues that we all have are really relatable from family to how we deal with our jobs. So thank you, Erica, for the review. If you've been enjoying the podcast so far, then I'd be so grateful if you'd take a second to leave a review on Apple Podcasts too, or share your favorite episode on social media or text a friend who you think might need to hear these stories. I think our stories are so important and powerful, and I'd love it if you could help me to share them with more people. Today, I'm talking to Sarah Keeley about IBS, PCOS, fibro and ME, and chronic migraine. Sarah talks about what labels and diagnoses have meant to her at different times in her life and the ways that her mindset has shifted as she learns to live with chronic pain. Before we start, here's my disclaimer. This podcast is not intended as a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Make sure you talk to your practitioner about any questions or symptoms. I like to start by asking about your health as a kid. Uh, yeah. Okay. So, um, I, I kind of was never really that healthy, um, or I didn't feel very well as a kid. I often had colds and flu and stomach bugs and all sorts of stuff. I mean, I was a fairly sort of energetic kid and I, you know, I ran around a lot and, you know, it wasn't as if, um, there was anything that was, you could pinpoint if, you know, we went to the doctors or anything. Um, except I had one problem that's kind of linked to some psychological trauma that I had uh, uh, very young, um, which was that I would sort of unconsciously not go to the toilet. Um, so I would hold that back. Um, and at first, my, you know, my mum just didn't really know what to do with it. Um, and at first it was, you know, every few days I would, I would go. Um, and then it sort of slowly built up over time to the point when when I was sort of 15 it would be seven weeks between wow Um, so like yeah extreme constipation and digestive issues I'm sure become a related feature yeah but um I was very sort of ashamed about it yeah so we didn't really I didn't really go to see doctors or specialists nobody knew about it except for you know my family and and one sort of close friend that I had um, school didn't know anything about it, so I often had time off school. I often uh, suffered with kind of a lot of, or I experienced a lot of fatigue, but it wasn't so obvious that um, there was any. I, I don't know. The, it wasn't by by most people's standards. I seemed to be a fairly healthy, well kid. Right. Um, it didn't seem like a health issue. No, even though it yeah. really was. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Looking back on it. Um, I also, there's kind of an added layer here, um, which was that I was brought up in quite a strict religious uh, environment. 
mm-hmm. um, and a lot of the culture surrounding that was sometimes quite um, let's keep everything a secret. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So it, I didn't I didn't feel like I was in an environment where I could talk about that. Mm-hmm. So it was a real secret for a long time. Yeah. Um, and I always as well seem to have more headaches than most kids. Um, I needed glasses from quite an early age. Uh, I had eczema and skin allergies, things like that. Um, and I kind of just struggled with energy as, yeah. as a kid, I would say. Um, I was fairly energetic in my nature, um, really bubbly little kid, but uh, I would, you know, have periods of where I couldn't get out of bed and things like that mm-hmm. but it was so there was an added layer to this as well which <laughs> is um my mum actually uh had or had ME when I where she was just after she was pregnant and with me so I think because she I was around used to being around her with um her needing to go for uh naps during the day and her working part-time and things like that so it I think because I grew up around that, I was maybe more used to it. Seemed it and almost maybe not normal, but you knew that it was something that people experienced. It wasn't yeah. completely foreign. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I think maybe that has something to do with why I I wasn't more concerned as a kid. And I suppose when you're a kid, you yeah, you know, um, you don't know less concerned anyway. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I think I kind of really started to notice the problems getting. Um, getting more challenging in my early teens um, with, you know, secondary school or I guess, uh, I don't know what it's called over there, (laughs) high school. Um, It was, you know, especially coming up to exam time, I found it more difficult to concentrate and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, the stomach and digestive issues that I was having were intense um and were you how how was your diet and food intake at that time because I'd imagine you know that's all kind of one system yeah Yeah, absolutely um I I I don't think I was very um aware of nutrition at the time sure yeah um and I don't think it was a particular priority um for my family I think um, I had a tendency to comfort eat when I was upset. Or, um, and I also, uh, my, like my mum would do, you know, meat and two veg and, and you know, fairly standard, yeah. t- typically British meals. Yeah. Um, but uh, I would, you know, I was a sucker for chocolate and, and sure. <laughs> uh, you know, all that kind of thing. I wouldn't dare drink water and all that, all that sort of thing. So um, it definitely the digestive issue, you know, problems I was facing definitely had an impact on, on my diet because, you know, if it had been a particularly long time, I would feel really sick and nauseous and I wouldn't feel like eating. So, yeah. Putting more um, food in would not feel uh, like exactly. the answer I'd suspect. Yeah. Yeah. It makes yeah, it hard exactly. to eat. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I would say, I wouldn't say I was fussy um, or particular but I there was a lot of food that I was less keen on and so I wouldn't eat um but uh yeah I think I would just generally describe it as feeling pretty crappy really (laughs) yeah just didn't feel great 
And there were a couple no. things that maybe you knew weren't typical, but not in a way where you were like, something's wrong and I'm going to yeah. figure it out. Yeah. yeah. And I, I remember distinctly around the age I was 15, um, the feelings of kind of shame and guilt were getting quite strong, um, especially to do with the, the digestive um, uh, problems that I was having. So I remember searching on the internet and finding a forum for other people who had this um, tendency to, because I was kind of subconsciously withholding it. So it wasn't as simple as constipation because mm-hmm. I could feel when I needed to go and, and mm-hmm. all that kind of thing, but I would like deliberately hold it back, yeah. but not deliberately. <laughs> yeah, sort of choose um, not to or avoiding it at least. Yes. Like an avoidant yeah, behavior. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I... Um, and the moment that I found out that I this was not just me, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't alone and that other people had this thing that I had, that was like a real moment of just change. Yeah, I bet. Um, yeah, I, I remember just sat crying in bed the, the night that I found that forum. Um, so the next day I went to, to school and I uh, sought out a, support teacher who um I had a kind of good relationship with and I just basically opened up to her about you know 15 years worth of yeah just everything (laughs) yeah and that's amazing as like as an aside that it's like it's a secret it's a secret it's a secret and it takes just one day of finding out that you're not the only person and it's like the floodgates open that's exciting in general for people like people wonder you know should I open up about this it's embarrassing or it's whatever and like what a difference it can make to share your story holy cow yeah Yeah. Yeah, absolutely it was it was probably that day more than almost any other in my life changed my life completely Mm -hmm. and I'm I mean I'm I'm still uh Facebook friends with that teacher you know um uh, and I don't think she probably realizes the impact that she had on me. Um, but from there, I got referred to uh, a counseling service in the school. Um, and uh, I started uh, therapy with that counselor. And it didn't take long for us to realize that um, there was a lot I was kind of metaphorically and literally keeping in. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah keeping inside. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, it all seemed to start the, the, the digestive, um, problems I was having, um, when I was about four. And that's also the time that my mom and dad got divorced. Mm -hmm. And around that time, I didn't remember this sort of properly, but, um, my, uh, dad, basically I was meant to go for, um, just an afternoon and he kept me for two weeks and there was some some stuff happened in, involving bathrooms and involving uh sexual uh abuse and so I came my mum said that and I didn't find this out until I was 15 mm-hmm. so my mum said she told me that I came back and I wasn't the same little girl yeah. and from there you know things things kind of progressed so finding all this out at 15 (laughs) and we did some sort of um memory work and and and, um self-esteem work and all i spent two years in therapy with this this Mm -hmm. um counselor and sort of halfway through that i 
I just stopped holding it. Yeah. And and it was um I can't tell you like where in the process what did it, but the process of going through therapy like helped me, you know, let go. Um, right. Wow. And so I'd kind of I got to the end of that process and I'd overcome like the the thing that I never thought was possible. Mhm. But I had, as you can imagine, if you continually stretch your your bowels yeah. for 15 years, in those formative years, um, you end up with consequences. So uh, I was, I then, so I'm around about sort of 17, 18 around this time, uh, and I started having the opposite problem <laughs> to what I'd had previously. Okay. Um, I started having, uh, just going to the toilet all day, every day. I was in agony. Um, and I, I, I couldn't understand what was happening because this is something that I had never really experienced. Right. That would be extremely jarring, I would think. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's not like I'd never had diarrhea before, but it, it, it was, you know, constantly for the space of a year. Okay. Um, it also coincided with me leaving the religion that I was a part of, um, which kind of meant that I lost all my friends, the majority of people that I ever knew. Yeah. Um, like your support network. Yeah, absolutely. And although the majority of my family were out of it already, um, one of my sisters is still in it. So um, it was a real big time in my life. Everything it just lots was going on. Yeah. So um, I ended up going for lots of tests, um, lots of colonoscopies and, and all that fun stuff. Um, and around that similar time, I was having really bad um, menstrual cramps and hormone, all sorts of stuff. So within the space of a year, and this would have been 2010, uh, I just had felt I pretty much had just a year of tests yeah <laughs> um you, you know how it is um year of referrals um oh the one thing I should mention is sort of when I was 15 um they diagnosed me with depression okay um but it it for at the beginning I really sort of clung on to that because I I was going through a lot of stuff um but by this point it didn't feel like it it matched what I was going through Mm -hmm. um yeah it didn't feel almost relevant anymore yeah yeah Yeah. it it felt like I'd had some trauma that I'd I'd worked through Mm -hmm. um, and and I don't know something about it didn't feel quite right um so in 2010 the kind of upshot of all these tests was uh i was diagnosed with polycystic ovary okay yeah syndrome and uh ibs irritable bowel syndrome okay um and at that moment it was kind of like a bit of a light bulb moment again i was like oh my god this is what's wrong with me now i can move on with my life little did i know and it's like um, <laughs> i have labels now there's a yes. club for me yeah because i think absolutely. that's absolutely also true with the mental health diagnoses I'm just like, now I know how to find the other people who have my experience. Yeah, absolutely. At the beginning, um, I mean, you've got to remember I was sort of 18 years old at this point. So I was all about the labels. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I mean, it 
it matters. Like it is very meaningful. It's understandable, even if later sometimes you're like, oh, that might not have mattered, kind yeah. of. Yeah, absolutely. So I kind of went through. This was a bit of a um, tricky time for me, uh, in that I was free from the religion that I was. You know, um, I was working and le- and going to college and learning how to be an adult, um, but I also I felt like uh, I had the hangover of a lot of my childhood mm-hmm. kind of still going. And I suppose, I mean, everybody probably feels like that at that age, but um, yeah, it felt intense at the time. Yeah. Um, so in 2011, which was the, the year later, um, I decided to go to university. I was going to study um, musical and technical theatre and I was all ready for it. It was great. I was in a new relationship with my now husband um, and everything was coming up roses. And then within the first term, it was like by Christmas, I started in September by Christmas, I could barely make it out of bed. Okay. Um, it was like I'd been hit by a train. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um was really you know waking up with a headache every morning my legs were giving way underneath me um I my eczema that I'd kind of had on and off through childhood was flaring up to the worst I'd ever seen it I had to have it bandaged and wrapped um just my stomach was (laughs) terrible Mm -hmm. um so basically I thought oh my god I've made a mistake coming to university it's like it feels like it's too much yeah it was it was um I think what kind of compounded it was the fact that musical theater and technical theater degrees drama degrees you're it's not like I don't know what college is like over there but um over here you know if you're doing uh, a standard, you know, English degree or something like that. You might be in lectures for two days a week, and then the rest of the time it's your own learning. And but you're this sitting. was, yeah. Uh, but this theatre degree was you're in five days a week, sometimes six, and you, if it, if you've got a show on, you might be in from eight a.m. till ten p.m. every day. <laughs> yeah, it's very um, intensive. Yeah. So. So it felt um, like you had. Or it sounds like you're going, okay, maybe I just did too much or pushed too hard or whatever. Like, I have done this to myself. Yeah, exactly. There was a real sense of, oh, well, you're putting yourself in this situation. If you can just fix it enough, then you'll get better. Um, And can I ask, uh, I have uh, a short follow-up question and then a long follow-up question. So the short one is, so you described some of your symptoms of being Mm. stuck in bed, and it sounds like they're kind of all over full body. Were you Mm. also having um, any cognitive problems or like brain fog? Oh, yeah, massively. Like (laughs) I could not concentrate. I ended up having to have extensions on all my essays. Uh, I would speak and the words would just not come out or I'd say the wrong words or flip, you know, uh, you know yeah. the all that standard stuff. fog, brain fog okay. symptoms. Um, so it's I would like get a... confused about where I was. Yeah. Uh, all Ooh. that kind of thing. Yeah. So like a yeah. full body, it sounds like, like every system yeah. Yeah. appears to be affected. Okay. Absolutely. And then I have one more flashback question. Sorry, mm-hmm. before we keep going. Um, That's fine. Just because I've mostly talked to people in North America, 
So when you were going through the referral engine, even before university, mm. to get the PCOS diagnosis um, mm. and the IBS diagnosis, how was that within your system? So is it relatively easy to get referrals? Is everything covered? You know, just that yeah. kind of situation. I mean, I suppose the first thing to say is um, we, I think the majority of people in this country are very grateful because most healthcare is completely covered. You just don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. You have to pay for certain medicines and prescriptions, but other than that, you know, you can, mm-hmm. you, you, you get the referrals fine. Um, but it, the, the downside of that is it takes a long time. <laughs> and I mean, you know, you would see your GP, which is like our family doctor. Yep. You can see them anytime. Uh, you would see them maybe five or six times over the course of a few months. And by the end of that, they would be convinced <laughs> to send you to a specialist. Now, things have improved since then. Mm-hmm. And it was particularly bad in the area that I was in because it um, didn't have uh, a lot of, um, what's the word? Uh, uh, money (laughs) um just like uh, not a market for investment okay yeah yeah. yeah. so there's not a lot Um, of specialized services because the market isn't really there and then people end up traveling or whatever yeah it's i think just funding was was short really um and so and and so the process of say for instance me going to see the doctor for the first time with cramps and then the diagnosis of polycystic ovaries were was about probably six months at least mm-hmm. um and even longer with the ibs because there's more stuff that they have to go through i think i went to see a um, dietitian and uh you know um had various cambrins in places that i don't want to think about you know all Lots that kind of, of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and and ibs so, is um that's an elimination diagnosis right so yeah, they're basically exactly. ruling out anything that they know of that could yeah. be causing problems yeah. yeah, absolutely. And the added kind of um, complication to this, although we didn't know it at the time, um, or did we? Actually, we might have known it. Uh, my sister has um, Crohn's, so okay. there was <laughs> yeah. added stuff in the mix that was kind of compl- complicating things. Um, but I think it really did depend on which specialist you saw. Some, some doctors uh, are amazing and you know you see them and you really feel listened to and they say right i'm going to take this seriously and i'm going to refer you to a specialist others um i remember i I went to to one and this was uh right early on and they said oh so what what do you want me to do do you want me to stick my finger up your bum and i was just like right great thanks yeah you shouldn't (laughs) have this job anymore no exactly um so yeah it was one of those processes that was slow um but I think it has improved since then Mm -hmm. definitely yeah and it's always hard I mean I thought this anyway and I extra think this now that I'm I think 45 interviews in or something like Mm. it's always hard because of course they can't nobody knows immediately what it's going to be and this elimination process is complicated and everybody is different so all of that is true and mm. we're impacted by our systems and the quality of doctors that we find or yeah. the empathy of the doctors that we find, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something that definitely changed depending on where I was. So I'm based in Yorkshire in the UK, which is like right in the middle. And it's some parts of it are less affluent than others. And then when I moved to 
uh, Cumbria, which is where I did my degree, it's like right in the mountainy region and um, it's a little, there's a little more investment up there. Um, and so I, I found that I, I got taken a lot more seriously mm. um, depending mm. on where I lived. Yeah, um, that's interesting. It's yeah, like, yeah. There's that's a lot a of big thing in the UK, I think. Yeah, I believe that. I mean, I think that's well here. So I'm in the States now, but I've also lived in Canada and it's mm. like there in Canada, partly there's a density problem. So when you live somewhere more rural, they're just, yeah. you're not near anybody. That's also true yeah. in the States actually. But so, you know, there's just more people per square mile or whatever mm. in England than there are probably in either of these countries averaged out. But, um, but it's the same, you know, if you can aff- here, if you can afford to go to a yeah. like fancy city system, then you're probably just going to get treated really differently than if you go to a walking clinic where they're just trying to move people through as fast as possible because that's what they have to yeah. do. Yeah. Mm, and that's absolutely awful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So yeah. So IBS is like about elimination and then PCOS and PCOS is a cluster diagnosis, right? So it's like, there's a couple different I mean, there's more than a couple. There's many criteria, yeah. and you need to meet at least three or something. So, yeah, have different tests with that end in mind. Yeah, yeah. My my uh, a couple of well, a few years before actually, when I was quite young, my sister, my another sister, a different sister. Um, I'm one of six, so oh my, <laughs> there's yeah. a lot of us. Um, <laughs> but uh, she was diagnosed with polycystic ovary syndrome, and so I kind of knew that we had something in the family but I didn't really know much about it um and the main indicator for me was hair excessive hair yeah um and the the terrible periods <laughs> right um, um but uh I I had the scans and I had the hormones and the main thing for me was the hormone levels the hair growth the um I had some cysts but they weren't you know mm-hmm. um really troublesome or anything like that right yeah um, and the cysts in general from PCOS usually like there's there, nothing even needs yeah. to be done about them that's not yeah. what, unless you're trying to conceive they're not the same as any like when we normally think of cysts it's yeah. not the same it's like yeah, exactly an unruptured follicle to put yeah, it yeah, extremely yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um okay so yeah so thank you for that diversion so now so that's you're okay. in university and you feel like you've been hit by a train at the end of yes. your first semester and you yeah. think that you've done um, it to yourself yes uh i there was definitely an element of um i mean i was so angsty i was 19 and i was just uh frustrated i think there was a lot of anger there because everyone else around me was going out drinking i was sharing in um we call them halls i guess they're dorms over there okay yeah where um, where the students live together yes yeah. yes dorms. Uh, which you know, when you when you're experiencing that kind of chronic pain and fatigue, um, is no fun. <laughs> um, so that went on for. I started in September, and by I think it was sort of March, I was um, looking into um, basically relying on a wheelchair, mm-hmm. um, and I think. Because I, I spent a little bit of time uh, away, I had to come home and rest and and figure out other ways to get my my credits and and um, do my assessments and things like that. Um, because a lot of it's singing, mm. the ability to sing when you're in 
when you're fatigued is pretty tricky like to project um, just thinking yeah. about that when you're like yeah, just I just want to whisper yeah exactly um and just being able to uh hold your breath in certain ways you know uh, a lot of my some of my symptoms which I later found out were things like costochondritis um just breathing in deeply would leave me in yeah intense pain yeah so uh some things I could do some things I couldn't um but basically I finished my first year sort of May, June of, uh, 2012, basically feeling like what the hell is wrong with me? Yeah. <laughs> um, and I'd gone to my doctors again and they'd mo- mo- mostly, um, uh, prescribed me with painkillers. So, they weren't really interested in looking into what was going on. Um, it was mostly tramadol. I don't know mm-hmm. if that's yeah. a drug name or a, yeah. Yeah. Um, which I was on a, quite a high dose for quite a long time and mm-hmm. it really didn't do me any favors. Um, yeah. And that's, I mean, tramadol absolutely helps people who it helps, yeah. but yeah. it also it has not insignificant side effects, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I was dealing with a lot of those. Um, and then, so I came home for the summer and I basically spent the whole summer just recuperating. And then I come September of 2012, I felt re-energized and I was like, right, I'm You've been sleeping for three months. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I'm going to get back to it. Uh, and I came back and it, it, things weren't as intense, but I definitely uh, like I wasn't reliant on the wheelchair anymore, but um, my pain was worse. So the headaches were probably worse. I was getting more migraines. The muscle spasms were worse. Think that kind of symptom mm-hmm. was worse. Um, I would get more colds and flus, and when I would get them, you know, I would get sinusitis, and uh, you know, my just general immune system was worse. Yeah, it just seemed like it was hitting you harder maybe than it hit other people that you yeah. knew. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, freshers flu, which I don't know if you guys have that, but I don't think we call it that, but I could imagine what uh, it is. Yeah. So it's everyone comes back after the summer all yeah. from around the country and they all bring their germs with them. And yeah. then the first two, three weeks are just and, a germ fest. And at least in my college experience, also, you get back and you're like, oh, we're not sleeping anymore and perhaps yeah. are drinking a lot, which neither yeah. of those things are doing the body any favors either. No, no, exactly. So I was kind of um by this point I think I had been referred to specialists so I was waiting for appointments and things mm-hmm. and throughout my second year of university I was put on more medication but it was more preventative so like amitriptyline I tried for a bit I don't know if these drug names make sense or what it's okay. but, um, I, I always have to look everything up for the transcript yeah, anyway to make yeah. sure I spell they're, it right so. the, um antidepressant uh, that they use for, for chronic pain and things like that. Um, okay. Gabapentin. Uh, oh gosh, I can't even remember. Yeah. Um, Which is another, like Gabapentin absolutely helps the people that it helps and yeah. it has intense side effects. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I think I had six lots of antibiotics in one year just from Ugh. the kind of urinary <laughs> side effects of Gabapentin. Ugh. And I put on a ton of weight. Mm-hmm, with Gabapentin. Um, 
Yeah, or with yeah. and who knows uh, but with the medication the, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the the medication the eating to help with the pain and the not exercising as much not um mm-hmm. getting well, out not there being as much. able to right yeah absolutely yeah. um and you and you had also said i just i'm thinking about this so you were using a wheelchair mm-hmm. for a while and mm-hmm. for that is that um covered by anything is that a private purchase did you need a referral so I had uh, a, I think it was the Red Cross, which are like a charity in the UK. Um, and I think I had that one for six weeks, but that was a really just basic like kind of like a hospital. Yeah. Look. yeah. Um, and then my, this is a really weird connection, but a relative of the family twice removed somewhere sure. yeah. um, had, was getting rid of their electric wheelchair. Oh. Um, yeah. So hey. I... <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I didn't use it all the time, mm-hmm. but just when I anything that would require more than you know five minutes of walking, yeah, I would use it for. Um, yeah, it's a tool. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, so I had that for a while, and um, but that was mo- mo- uh, oh, sorry, mostly over the summer. Yeah, of my first year between my first right. year and my second year when you were resting um, a lot. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. And so now, so th- so in your second year, and they've given you yep. all this medication, and then you're yep. also looking at what kinds of specialists were you seeing for so something so broad? I definitely saw. Um, oh gosh, no, let me think. They definitely <laughs> sent me to physio because, yep. um, you know, it's yep. totally the fact that I've got terrible posture, not anything else, right? Um, or that you're just deconditioned <laughs> because you yeah. haven't been exercising, and if they can get you yeah. exercising again, yeah, then you'll yeah, be fine. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Um, I think there was a rheumatologist somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. Um, God, I can't remember now. Um, That's okay. Also, I guess, there was which ones were meaningful? <laughs> so you're seeing everybody. Well, the, yeah. So the, the, the person who I saw in the end was, um, I can't remember what kind of doctor he was, but he was a basically a fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue specialist. Okay. They had a clinic. Um it was kind of, I don't know, 40 miles away or something. So I went and basically he took a history. He checked my sore spots. He, you know, uh, did the full works, the full exam. And there and then said, right, yeah, you've got chronic fatigue, ME and uh, fibromyalgia. Now I knew what chronic fatigue and ME was because of my mum. Mm-hmm. So I'd already kind of suspected that. Um, but fibromyalgia was something that I wasn't prepared for or I didn't really know what it meant mm-hmm. so again new labels came home or uh, you know went uh, I remember actually my uni friends we all went for a day trip because um, this this specialist place was in a beautiful part of the world in the mountains in Keswick in the Lake District and so we made a day of it and we were all you know being silly and in the most of this was this appointment where I was diagnosed um, and I remember coming home and just being like this makes so much sense. This is all falling into place. I totally understand. Um, and so I went on a deep dive of the internet to find out what was fibromyalgia and, yeah. and all that kind of stuff. And more importantly, at the time, what drugs can I take that will fix me? Yeah, what can I do about it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But it, it, there was, it kind of helped because it let go of the I've done something to cause my own pain mm-hmm. but it also told me that I did not done something to 
give yeah. me any sort of feeling that I had any power over my yeah my condition or, or how I was feeling yeah and especially um, with those two like there's not really an explanation it's not like yeah. oh we know exactly why you're in pain or yeah, we know exactly yeah. why your energy is diminished yeah and even oh. if we don't know how to fix it we can explain it like no we can't explain it at all <laughs> yeah I've just realized I've completely omitted like uh the main thing out of uh, my history um so when I was 17 um I contracted uh, I was working in a nursery uh children's nursery for like I think I had this it was supposed to be a you know year-long apprenticeship but I was actually there for three weeks because within the second week I'd got a chest infection and within the third week I'd got chicken pox okay so you had I guess adult chicken pox basically yes yeah yeah and I was covered I was um I thought I was dying before the spots came out. I didn't know what was wrong with me. Um, I'd never been so ill. Mm-hmm. And that's having had the history that I had as a kid. So, um, And the doctors told me that I was, I had to stay inside for basically like five, six weeks. Like quarantine? I go out. Yeah. yeah, quarantine. I was really, really quite ill. And from that point, I just sort of, that's when the symptoms slowly built up. I mm. kind of, after that point, I was not, ever well again yeah like back to you know yeah any sort of full health and that's interesting just because for so many people it's mono for so many people they get a mono infection which could be two different viruses but it's like a virus happened and yeah I had an immune response and then it never I don't know what never faded kind of Yeah, yeah yeah exactly so um I can't believe I admitted that but um uh so when I went to see the specialist and he diagnosed me, he asked if I'd ever had any, you know, when was it starting? What, you know, happened? Mm-hmm. And he basically said, oh, it was the chicken pox. That's, that's totally what did it. Yeah. So I spent the next kind of year, my third year of university, um, I was managing things a lot better, but I still, I was very much labeled and I labeled myself as, oh, I've got fibromyalgia, I've got, you know, chronic mm-hmm. fatigue, I can't do that, I can't do that, I can't do that. Yeah. Um, and it protected me because I was, I, I somehow got to the end of it and I graduated um, and I did really well and I had, you know, I had really amazing friends, um, have, because I'm still in touch with all of them. Um, and, uh, but by the end of so by the end of my third year I got to the point where I was like how am I ever gonna work yeah how am I ever gonna have a full-time job how you know I was panicking about what my future looked like and I realized that you know the thing that I had a degree in (laughs) I definitely didn't want to do because it would was gonna kill me (laughs) yeah because it would be so physical Um, no matter what yeah, yeah yeah absolutely um so I my husband, this uh, who wasn't my husband then, but um, he was, he'd changed his degree and was um, attending the same place as me with the same degree, but just a year later. Mm-hmm. So we had to stick around that area for for an, an extra year. So I got a graduate internship with the kind of careers guidance and student support teams, um, and it was great. But I was definitely quite fragile and um 
there was very much a, a sense of identity that I put forward as the, the first thing when people met me. Mm. Hi, I'm Sarah, and I have uh, fibromyalgia. Hi, I'm Sarah, and I have chronic fatigue. Um, yeah. And there was more... I'd, I'd, I'd switched medications, and I'd finally found one that seemed to help the most, which was nortriptyline. Mm-hmm. Um, but it obviously wasn't without its side effects. Um, and things were sort of okay for a bit, but then, again, I, and this seems to be a theme with, with my health in general. It goes up for a bit, and then I, I have a relapse. And I yeah. know that many people can identify with that. Yep. Um, but we moved into kind of a a little grotty flat, <laughs> and we had a mold problem. Like, had to throw out everything ah. by the end of when we moved out because yeah. it was so bad. Um, okay, that's so, awful. <laughs> Yeah, so that had its impact. Um, yeah. I was uh, just generally everything was a lot worse. Um, my, my headaches were worse. Um, I had to reduce my hours at work from full time to part time, and the kind of that was a bit of an ordeal. And it, uh, I had to have counselling, and generally I was feeling pretty back to a feeling of being ashamed that yeah. I couldn't I just couldn't cope with you know why can't I do this yeah. uh, normal adults do this I'm never going to be a normal adult you know yeah like, I don't know what I was talking about but but that's how it feels and how long is. how long were you in the this apartment and did you know there was mold there quickly or did it take a while it took a long so we didn't really realize until almost to the end yeah um, and then you left and we quickly. were in there a year yeah yeah, yeah. we were only ever going to be there just under a year but uh that was enough time for it to kind of oh yeah um, no I know (laughs) yeah yeah I know from listening to your real story as well um so we we moved out and we so my husband graduated in 2015 we got a he got a job in Oxford which um I don't know how to quantify this but it's like 300 400 500 miles away from where we were living yeah some vast distance it's the other end of the country kind of Mm -hmm. um so we moved into a brand new, new build apartment, uh, and it was, I was working three days a week in an admin job, um, and I I think within my first like six months, I'd lost like two stone, and I was walking and I was doing stuff and things were just generally a whole hell of a lot better. I was eating better. My headaches weren't as bad. I was on this medication that was seemed to be doing great things for me. And I'd also started coaching. So in my previous job in, in Carlisle as a graduate intern, um, one of my mentors, a careers advisor said, Hey, you seem to be great with students, you know, um, how about have a look at this this thing called coaching go along to a free event so i went and it was like a light bulb moment i was like oh my god this is exactly what i want to do with my life i need to do this yeah this feels great yeah exactly um you know there was stuff about listening and the power of connection and rapport and oh it was just i was loving it so i was studying for that and um it was like a distance course diploma mm-hmm. 
Um, and everything was just going pretty grand, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so I had that for about six months. And then in 2016, early 2016, um, my work, uh, my manager at work left. And then the assistant, we were in a team of three, and the assistant a couple of months later left. Okay. And so I was doing three people's jobs at once. Mm-hmm. So I had to... Well, I didn't have to, but I'm sure I had to. Uh, yeah, you were in a position hours. to. Yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. Uh, up my hours, I went pretty much to full time, uh, four days a week, four long days a week. Um, and it sort of happened incrementally. And then we got a new manager and um, and everything was going okay, but my health was just getting progressively worse and worse. And did it feel like that tracked really directly with changing your workload? Uh, yeah. 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 Massively. Um, we also moved house again. Um, cause the, we had some nightmare neighbors move in and, uh, above us in the flat. Um, and we moved to a house. It was in the middle of nowhere I didn't drive so there's commute times is like an hour and a half commute each way yeah and so I would be getting up at you know quarter to five or oh. quarter past five and then getting home at half six seven yeah those are long eight. days and so it was just I stopped doing my coaching I put that on the back burner um I started eating more. It just, you know, things were generally not going so great. Probably felt like survival mode, right? Like you just, anytime you're not working, then you're just trying to like make it until your next shift almost. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And um, the work, I was working as a PA and so it was sometimes kind of stressful. Um, My husband was working as a theater technician doing sound and, and that kind of thing. And so he would often have really long hours. I was 300 odd miles away from my family. You know, there was yeah. just a, a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Um, Oxford's quite an expensive place to live. So mm-hmm. we weren't particularly saving tons of money. Right. You know, there was a lot of stress basically, I think. Mm-hmm. And at that time, Again, with the blame game, I was basically saying, oh, it's my fault for being so stressed. Yeah. Um, (laughs) You know, so cut to, uh, gosh, February last year. Okay. Yeah, February 2018. So we spent a year there. Um, We decided, we kind of got to a point where it was all getting too much. And I was sort of, I was going to basically with the sickness that I had at work, I was going to be forced to either go full time and make sure my sickness was better. Yeah. Or... Just handle it. Yep. Um, I had more counseling. I had occupational health referrals, all that kind of stuff. Or basically I would have to quit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I quit because I just didn't want to go through that. Mm-hmm. Um, and we moved back up North to, uh, basically where my family's from near Leeds um, I got a new job doing the exact same thing that I've been doing, um, working as a PA in a university. Um, and I 
things were a lot better in for the majority so my mood was a lot better I was a lot less stressed but I still had a lot of the habits that I was kind of carrying over okay so um my sleeping pattern wasn't great my I was eating all the wrong foods we moved from a place that was in the middle of nowhere to a place that was right in the middle of the city and so had you know lots of access to bad or less healthy foods to all foods probably yes to all foods yeah um on demand Mm -hmm. um but somewhere over the space of a few months I got back into coaching I um on and off for about the last year before that um I'd started trying paleo um and I found it helped, but I could never really stick to it. So I was on and off with that. Mm-hmm. Um, just before we'd moved back up north, I'd attended a three-week-long chronic pain management course with um, in my local area. And that was really helpful, showing you stretches and showing you, um, you know, the power of mindset with managing your pain and just yeah. talking to people who wanted to get stuff done but had to consider their pain yeah yeah like um, what what would that be like I'm just thinking it's so different from going to a doctor who is yeah. trying to find out what's wrong and then fix it as opposed to yeah. like okay fixing it isn't priority number one anymore living my life is priority number one yeah yeah and that was a massive shift because in my head it was all about fixing it before that point mm-hmm. um and I'd you know, been trying all these medications and, you know, things were not, um, didn't seem to be working for me anymore. And so that was really a change where I met people who were, had the same, you know, conditions as me. I'd never met anybody else with, with, you know, the same diagnosis. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and we weren't, you know, we were talking about mindfulness every day. We were talking about gentle stretching. We were talking about, you know, throughout the course of the past few years I'd gone on weight loss management courses I'd gone on uh, exercise you know um, exercises therapy courses Mm -hmm. but they'd always felt um, particularly the exercises therapy I think the personal trainer that I had didn't fully understand yeah (laughs) the limitations he was like okay so we're gonna plank now for five minutes yeah and I'd just be like, you have no idea what this is going to do to me tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that, the post-exertional malaise issue. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And so I became very resistant to the idea that I had any power in proactively managing any mm. of my pain. Mm-hmm. Um, so this course was a big change because it was all right. If that's what you can do today, then let's half it and then that's maybe what you can do tomorrow yeah and every day yeah um so that was a big thing so after that we came up north things were getting better I was back into coaching this was all last year um but I was at the heaviest that I'd um almost overweight that I'd ever been Mm um and my job the first six months were okay. Um, it was full time though because it was all I could get. Okay, yeah, I was going to ask uh, about that. Yeah, and so 
the workplace was really accommodating. They were like, yeah, you can have sort of flexible hours. Yeah, we'll get you an ergonomic keyboard. We'll get you a special chair. All the, you know, they were fantastic and really supportive. I think I even had taxis paid for to get me to work and back. It was only a five minute journey, but I was going to say, how was the commute? So the commute was much better, even despite so longer hours than you had before, maybe or the same. But uh, yeah, I think it was something like three more hours a week to, mm-hmm. to make it full time, but five minute journey yeah, to work so every day. So three fewer hours each day. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It was it was a lot better generally, but sort of six months in by the time it got to kind of September last year, um, I was just. I was off sick a lot more. I was getting more, more and more migraines. My pain was um, more intense. Um, and I was really struggling to lose weight. I just could not get it off. And I didn't exercise. And I, you know, it was, I was finding it just all really too much. I'd had, I'd made the decision about a year before that, just before we moved up north, to come off all my medication. Okay. So um, I was umming and ahhing at this point. I'd found that basically off my medication, I was in more pain, but I was felt more myself. Mm. I didn't have the brain fog as, as I suppose I did have the brain fog, but I didn't have the, you had more clarity. Would you say? Yes. Even if I didn't feel it wasn't perfect. Yeah. 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 I didn't feel, I don't know if this is the right term or if some people might identify with this, but on all of the medication that I was taking at one point, I referred to myself as a zombie Mm -hmm. because I felt like I wasn't really present in my body. And I felt like I couldn't really concentrate or think or, um, but it was different to brain fog. Yeah. Um, and I was more tired Mm. on the medication. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'd had this year without medication and it was a lot better in a lot of ways I was able to concentrate on my coaching and, and things like that. But my pain was just getting to unmanageable levels. Right. And that's the balancing act. I think it's really worth yeah. worth like just calling that out is everybody, oh, yeah. anybody who needs pain management. It's like, OK, we have to choose. These are these are the areas of like yeah. energy, cognitive function and then physical pain. And if your side effects are making two of those worse while improving one of them, you're like, I have some tough choices to make. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And and I'd been, I'd started to research a bit more over that over last year, things like mindfulness for pain management mm-hmm. and um, doing the stretching and and all that kind of stuff that I'd learned on the course. Um, and I felt more. There was elements of like giddy excited me back mm-hmm. that I hadn't seen in years. Um, I was doing my coaching. Um, I was almost qualified. So September to some kind of December last year for me was a really key, crucial, confusing time. <laughs> um, I was ramping up the coaching and getting more practice clients and almost qualified. I ended up qualifying in November. Um, but my pain at work, at my day job was getting worse and worse and I was having more and more time off. Mm-hmm. So that kind of culminated 
and my headaches were the kind of core thing really i was having uh migraines sort of two three four times a week depending that ramped up to five or six um later on in the year yeah. i was basically just a, a walking migraine yeah and um, this was not sustainable no it wasn't um to work so I ended like up that having yeah and especially when your job um is i mean i was a pa so it, like 95 percent of it was at the screen mm-hmm. um and they tried you know screen gels and uh filters and all sorts of stuff and it just i had sunglasses on in the office it just wasn't really doing yeah did you notice any triggers associated with that with that just because what you're talking about is stuff that people typically try to reduce their migraine triggers you know so were you able to even if you weren't able to fix it were you able to identify anything like that absolutely so I know for me and this is most of the trigger identification that I've done has been post this time which Mm -hmm. I'll kind of go on to talk about but um basically for me uh really bright lights or a lot of time at the screen really Mm -hmm. strong smells Mm -hmm. um chocolate Mm -hmm. orange uh certain foods i mean gluten you know all the 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 usual usual suspects suspects, yeah (laughs) yeah um uh to be honest uh oh well sleep uh hormones things like that but the biggest one for me um that i seem to have let well no control over really is the weather mm, um yeah. when like it's we, last yeah last week we had a week where just it was overcast all week with really dark skies and just felt like it really needed to rain and i had like twice as many migraines as i normally would have yeah um so that's the only one where i found it really difficult to not only predict but manage because yeah i can't control the weather no obviously <laughs> not um, yeah. and something that has really struck with me stuck. Okay. Something that really struck me in a past interview. Yeah. So something that has really stuck with me, two different expressions mm. there, um, is that, so Kelly, and I want to say episode 10, uh, mm. who has EDS, Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. Mm. One thing that yeah. she talked about was that she was very also impacted by the weather. And like part of her work was kind of, stopping herself from going into almost like a she didn't say panic spiral but as soon as she saw clouds outside she'd start getting so much apprehension about the impact that it would have on her body that it almost became a self-fulfilling prophecy which isn't to say that the weather didn't have an impact but it's like and I think this can be true with any trigger it's like you get so worried that it starts to create its own downward spiral and so things that you can't control like weather are like are so loaded because of the ways that they impact your body and also your mind. Yeah, absolutely. I I can really identify with that. And um, a lot of the work that I'm doing at the moment is around my mindset as much as anything Mm -hmm. um, and my habits Mm -hmm. so that if something crops up that's unexpected, that I'm not going, oh my God, what am I going to do about this? Damn it, I'm going to have a migraine. I need to replan this. I need to replan that. One of the things that's you know i've gained from chronic pain is that i'm great at organizing stuff but Mm -hmm. sometimes it means that i you know put too much emphasis on that and you know it gets um it hinders me more than anything yeah so um but the the thing with migraines that i've so i kind of 
I'd spent all these years with, um, you know, my labels that I had grown accustomed to. And I thought right. I knew everything about what I had and, you know, I had it rather than experienced it. Um, and then I got referred to a specialist, another specialist in September, October last year, because the headaches were just too much. Mm-hmm. And within, he was a neurologist and within, and I'd seen neurologists before, um, but you know, they would tell me I just had normal headaches or I just had, you know, my posture was bad or, or, or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, uh, and he, within 15 minutes of talking to me and my husband came with me mm-hmm. and was in the room with me and he, we both came out and we were like, Whoa, because <laughs> within 15 minutes he said, Oh, I know exactly what you've got. I know exactly what's wrong with you. You really? have chronic migraine. Yeah. Okay. He said, <laughs> yeah, he said, so you, he, he explained it to me as if you've got a switch in your brain um, and it's supposed to turn on and off all day, every day as we are processing information, sensation. And um, with some people, the tendency for this switch to stay, uh, stay on and keep on is um, hereditary or they have, you know, um, some sort of tendency. And then something triggers it. Uh, he said, in my case, something like chickenpox. And then it just ramps up and ramps up and ramps up. Mm-hmm. So he asked me about my headache history. Um, and by this point, I'd kind of, I'd not really acknowledged this, but I hadn't had a day without a headache at some point in the day since I was 17. Right. Um, yes. So for a lot of people, if I ever tell anybody that who asks me about what my my kind of most debilitating or the 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 most challenging feature of my conditions to manage is, I always say my headaches because I can't remember what it's like to have a clear head. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he was like, "Yeah, you've definitely got." you know you're getting five migraines every week this is chronic migraine yeah so he said so you've already tried all the medication that i would try you on let's try botox i was like uh say what now yeah excuse me (laughs) (laughs) um i i didn't even know that was a thing i you know just thought about the stereotypical version of botox cosmetic Um, botox yeah absolutely um so this was kind of like a real point in my journey where I just went, right, so here's another person who's labeled me with another thing and they're giving me another thing of treatment. What am I going to do about this? Yeah. And I went for the for the Botox. I had my first lot. It made me really quite ill in the first sort of week. Mm. Um, I was throwing up and had terrible vertigo and it was just not very pleasant. Mm-hmm. Um, but after that, it didn't really do anything. Mm. So for you me. there was for you there wasn't an upside. It sounds like after after the first round of Botox, no. Okay. Um. So then we got to Christmas and I'd had tons of time off work. I was just generally feeling like I couldn't cope anymore. And then I had two weeks off, and it was like the only way I can describe it is oh, <laughs> it was um, I just felt so much more rested so much more me I could focus on things um 
I went out and got pictures taken for my website. You know, I was just feeling a lot better. And for me, when I think about my chronic pain or my illness, or I, I, it has to be paired with mindset and how I'm feeling and mental health as well. It, mm-hmm. I cannot separate the two. Um, yeah. So my mindset and how I'm feeling is such a big part of me being able to manage my my uh, health. So I came back and I had one day at work after after New Year's and I had a migraine mm. and I hadn't had one in about two weeks. When you were two weeks out of the office. And I was two weeks out of the office and I just thought, you've got to be kidding me. Yeah. This is, there is something I can do here. Right. So I had about three weeks, not even that, two weeks off work. I was signed off and I, and I started to feel a lot better. I was just managing the pain better. My migraines were, you know, maybe two a week rather than six or five a week. Um, And so I went on some training because I was finally feeling, I was about to, just about to go back to work and I went on some training and um, on the way back from the training, before my uh, train journey, I happened to go into WH Smith, which is um, one of our stores here, uh, and I picked up a book by Mark Manson, which was um, uh, the th- uh, oh god, uh, sorry, my brain's just completely gone. Um, I know who he is. The and I subtle. Can't... So he's oh yeah, book, and it's the of subtle art. art of not giving a yeah. Yeah. You can swear. It's um, fine. <laughs> uh, oh, it's the subtle art of not giving a fuck. Yeah. Um, and I find reading quite difficult sometimes with mm-hmm. the headaches and, and concentration and things, mm-hmm. but I could not put this one down. Mm-hmm. I read it twice in 24 hours. Yeah. Once with just me and once I read it aloud to my husband because <laughs> I was like, you have to read this. You're like, I need you here with me right now. Yeah, exactly. And then the next day I gave my notice in. Yeah. You were like, uh, it was just it's not something working. about it spoke to me. Yeah. 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 I was like the fear of not being able to pay the bills, the fear of, you know, n- not my business isn't ready to take off, you know, this, that and the other. Mm-hmm. Um, I just thought it's not, it isn't worth it. Yeah. So I went in the next day and I spoke to my director and he was the most understanding about it and he just went i can see this isn't working for you he said i can tell that when you're well you're you're fantastic you're doing a fantastic job but you're not you're not well yeah that's not what's happening yeah it's not working for you and it's not working for us and he said you know considering all everything that you're dealing with it's amazing what you're able to do Mm -hmm. but so and he said, you know, I had a, a month's notice to, to work off. And he said, don't worry about it. Mm. Just go home, rest, recuperate. Yeah, go be so, well. Yeah. So I, I was like, oh, oh, okay. I was fully <laughs> expecting to kind of, you know, go into work for another month. Yeah. So we handed in the notice in our house. This was February this uh-huh. year. We put all our stuff in storage we moved into my sister's spare room. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, <laughs> um, whatever yeah, works. Exactly. Very, very grateful to to her and, and um, 
for for letting us stay here my husband quit his job because he wasn't happy where he was either um and since then so since then i've been eating completely paleo Mm -hmm. like 98% 98% of the time. Sure. I mean, uh, yeah. yeah. I know. Everybody needs, you know, yeah. some carbs sometimes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I've lost just over two stone. I have, I'm having maybe one migraine every week or two weeks, depending on wow. how and things are going. That's a significant change. Oh, it's, it's massive. Um, I have been going to, uh, aquafit classes four times a week mm-hmm. and tai do you find that once a week Ooh, yeah. oh yeah so both gentle kinds of movements yeah. yeah low impact massive i mean i used to love swimming when i was a teenager yeah and i had not been swimming in years because i just thought i can't do that it's it's one of those things i've just i i used to love swimming and now yeah. i can't it's exercise uh, it's out of yeah yeah exactly and now i look forward to it mm-hmm. um i couldn't go a couple of days ago and I was like, ah, damn! Yeah, I've missed my outfit. Yeah, you missed and, it. And you know, I'm I'm there with a with a load of, um, I'm probably the youngest one there by you know many years, but yeah. um, but it's working. It's, yeah, it's working, and I feel more energetic. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to actually a few weeks ago. I went to a gentle keep fit mm-hmm. class. It was not gentle. <laughs> um, I was in bed for three days afterwards. Yeah, but Ooh. I f- I just think you. I'm, I've got to a point where I'm learning that, and this might be an unpopular opinion, but this is the revelation that I've been having recently, which is what I was resisting from a lot of doctors and specialists that I saw years ago, which was, are you exercising? Are you eating healthily? Are you practicing meditation and mindfulness? are you stressed how how are you managing your pain i used to take that as a as an affront and a blame thing that yeah. i could fix myself if i needed to or if i wanted it badly enough like an accusation yeah the the whole it's all in your head thing used to and it still does to an extent drive me mad mm-hmm. but now i kind of embrace that because there is an element of it is all in my head. <laughs> There's an element of I have control and I can do things and make decisions that impact me in a positive way. Mm-hmm. And so now um, a lot of what I'm doing with my business is coaching people to realize what they actually want and how they have power and control to get it. Mm-hmm. And the people that I work with, they're not, they're very much, I'm basically coaching myself. Yeah. that's. Uh, I think that's how people get into coaching because yeah, that's what they want to do. Absolutely. Because I found there was a bit of a gap for people who they're well enough to work. They're well enough that they, they ha- have ambition. They want to get going. And I'm not saying that people with more chronic um it's more sort of more debilitating illnesses don't have those qualities at all. But that I couldn't get any sort of financial welfare or benefits. And I, but I was still not healthy or well enough to 
uh, work full time. Right. So how do we support people in that gap? Yeah. And I find as well that a lot of people with chronic pain, um, or um, this is my personal experience, I suppose, is that it becomes what you talk about all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, And so to provide a space where they don't have to talk about it, but just know that I understand. (laughs) Yeah. Like it's not a secret that we're avoiding because that's the opposite problem of people who don't ask you about it. And you're Mm, like, oh, they're mm. uncomfortable and don't want to hear it. And they want to pretend that I'm fine. It's like not that space. Yeah. But like, you know, uh, okay. So you have, you have these symptoms, you have this condition, you manage it in this way what who are you beyond that who are you because of that mm-hmm. what can you do what do you want to do you know what what's changed how yeah. has it changed yeah um and and i've been going through that process myself yeah. so for me it's sort of ultra rewarding because i learn as much as they do yeah. you know as i'm going through that yeah definitely um, and the more and more I talk to people, to other people and hear all their experiences, which is, you know, why your podcast is so fantastic, is because the more I hear those stories, the the less alone I feel. Yeah. And the more empowered I feel. Yeah. Um, and I think that's for people who, you know, potentially their control might have been taken away or... Um, I think that's an, an amazing thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's such an isolating experience. And when you don't have, I mean, there's so many different things, I guess, like don't have a way to connect to other people. Mm. Don't realize that other people are out there who who you'll relate to. Like there's so many barriers. And especially if you if you're someone like many people are who are in the position where you don't leave your house very often. I yeah. am often in that position. Like mm. it totally changes your world and you yeah and as you start to connect and find other people you're like oh this is okay like yeah okay might be the wrong word (laughs) but like yeah this is a way of living and I can find out how to make it work for me as well as it's going to yeah um something that really strikes me also about the way that you're talking about I'll say lifestyle changes so like Mm. exercise and mindfulness and diet is like I think one of the things that can make it so hard when doctors ask about it or healthy Mm. family members ask about it or whatever is like it takes a lot of work it takes a lot of time and energy and space to figure out those habits and I think I I agree with you that I think that they can all be very helpful although especially with exercise it's like finding the exercise that works for you yeah is oof right like it might just be gentle stretching. Gentle stretching yeah. might be the thing that your body is up for, and that is fine. Yeah. But, like, I think if a doctor, for example, asks about it, like, oh, have you been exercising? It's like, are you kidding me? How how are you supporting me in building an exercise plan that works within my life? If I'm trying to work, I go to work, and I come home, and I get into bed. Like, my life yeah. does not currently allow me to exercise, and it – like making the space for those things and with food. Oh my God. I've been thinking about food a lot lately (laughs) because like it's expensive. It's expensive to try paleo or keto or AIP or 
Mm. any of these things and it takes a ton of time to figure out what you can eat and how to cook and all this stuff and it's like okay if you could try a diet the way that you can try a medication which is that a doctor especially so pcos Mm. is an easy example right like pcos is thought to be tied to insulin resistance and so some people find keto to be really helpful for managing pcos and so if you're diagnosed with pcos and your doctor's like okay so i think that the first step should be dietary before we try drugs because a lot of people could manage it with diet like not just here's a meal plan but literally like here's frozen meals for three weeks and it's going to be covered by your insurance or it's going to be subsidized and we're going to make it as easy for you to try a diet as it is for you to try a medication which yeah, isn't to say absolutely. that the like mental and all of the other stuff around diet, because I know that's there too, but it's just, it's, I think there's a certain like lack of awareness when people recommend those things about how little energy that people have yeah. to begin with, you know? And I'm not oh, saying definitely. that you're, that you're coming from that position, but like, it's so, ah. <laughs> yeah, well, I was, it's funny that you mentioned just pretty much everything that you just said, because it's <laughs> so, um, unbelievably on point Uh, one of the things that um so a couple of days before I handed in my notice and uh, read that book um I had been to the doctors and had another round of blood tests and um and I was borderline diabetic I was on the border for being diagnosed Mm -hmm. and pre-diabetic well no I was on that line and I was on the at the top yeah yeah exactly and I had this process of just going through a real shame spiral. I had a complete, um, I, oh, I just had a moment, I can't tell my family because I've done this to myself. You know, yeah. all the negative self-talk that I could have given myself, I did. Right. Yeah. Um, and then I got myself out of that and I thought, right, hang on. This is, I think I read that book and then I moved house and I thought this is something I need to try and be willing for it to fail mm-hmm. <laughs> but my the amount of support that I had and have had and still have with the paleo thing mm-hmm. is I would not have been able to do it um, or I would have really struggled to do it by myself yeah. so we've been my um i basically live with my sister her um long-term partner my brother and my husband mm-hmm. all f- all five of us in a cozy house together yeah um and my brother-in-law has been doing paleo with me mm-hmm. and we've been cooking new recipes and when i say we've been cooking i've been watching him cook new recipes yeah sometimes <laughs> um, that's what it takes yeah we've been you know experimenting with things um and uh, and I think that for me, the thing that's helped me with it has been just not trying too much to to do all the fancy stuff that you can do and get all the crazy ingredients or mm-hmm. all the, you know, specialized stuff, but just appreciating what a handful of almonds can do for me or what, you know, uh, uh, some broccoli can do for me or some like basic ingredients yeah just plain stuff and I'm not saying it's easy because it's really not and none of none of this I think what you said about 
um, the effort that all of those lifestyle changes uh, and habits take. It's if I was working full time and I work on my coaching business, but I'm able to do that when I'm feeling well and when I'm not feeling well, I'm able to rest. Mm-hmm. I would have really found this challenging to do when I was working. Yeah. Um, and it, I think it's very easy or maybe it's not easy. I don't know. I'm making assumptions there, but a lot of doctors, health, healthy people, um, mm-hmm they sort of say oh well you know what you need to do just just do it right like you were talking earlier if if you've got 10 of those things that you know you could try but you've only got energy and space in your life and time for maybe one or two yeah then you prioritize you know if if making paleo muffins for breakfast every morning isn't you know isn't feasible then it isn't feasible yeah so if I think it's getting better with um, things like um, places that you can buy, you know, eat out at mm-hmm. and and that kind of thing is is getting better. You can in this country you can buy things like spaghetti. Um, sorry, you can buy things like uh, cogetti spaghetti, uh, yeah. which is like zucchini noodles. Yeah, I was going to say suppose. like noodles. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, which I know you could never get a few years ago. Um, right. So it's getting better um but uh the effort that you need to put in is still yeah high yeah um, and, and high effort and it's great when you can find those kind of more convenient options but yeah. convenience comes at a cost is also yeah. the piece of it right Absolutely. So, <laughs> yeah so it's like I, and i'm so struck by this too because i also uh like i had been working in an office and then i started working remotely and then i ended up stopping mm. working remotely and it's like, okay, well, if the only way that you can make space to care for yourself is by basically slashing your income, then yeah. you're also, your choices change. Of course they do. It's like, oh, it was cool to have disposable income and no time or energy. <laughs> but now yeah. I have a little bit more self-care and much less disposable income. So yeah, yeah. it shifts That's exactly things. where I'm at at the moment. And I mean, today I managed to get out and go to a, a local little park that's five ten minutes walk away and the sun was shining and my sister came along and brought a camera and we took some pictures and mm-hmm. it I never had the energy for that before and if I did it was something that I had to like micromanage into my day into my week um and you know before we might have done something that cost more money <laughs> than yeah. going to the park, but I'm enjoying what I have now more. Yeah. Um, and that it's it takes uh, courage to do that. I think it takes it, it's a. I think if if we could tap the strength that people who have chronic pain conditions and use that as an as a resource. Yeah. Um, in the world uh the world would be we wouldn't have an energy crisis <laughs> yeah yeah people are making it happen and then mm-hmm. also like i personally am a strong uh proponent of universal basic income and this is why because i just think i know there are so many people out there who 
are, are in that space of wanting to do it. And if, and if you have dependents or if you don't have a safety net, you don't have a family that you can lean on, which is so many people like Mm -hmm. you're going, okay, it's going to take me a long time to figure out how I can logistically do that. And sure Mm -hmm. you can downsize, you can move in with family if you have that option. Yeah. And not everybody does. And like, I would really love that for everybody who needs that space to be able to take care Mm -hmm. of themselves which mm. we're not there yet. And no, <laughs> in certainly the UK, Canada, and the States, the countries that I'm familiar with, like the safety net of disability, whatever it's called in each place, is not providing that right now for most yeah. people. No, I mean, my uh, the, uh, the, the director of the place that I've just left, um, he was saying what i can't believe you know doesn't doesn't the the, does the state help you you know you're entitled you have all this and i said have you seen the forms for those it's can you lift a pint of milk above your head yeah can you walk 15 meters can you you know can you climb the stairs unaided i'm very fortunate that at this point i am well enough to do all those things with relative ease (laughs) on bad days sure not so much but but nobody's you know, paying you to do those things. No. So no, exactly. that would be great if that was a job, just demonstrating yeah. that you can lift yeah. milk. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and also certainly, like, I know just the legal challenges of it is most people have to go through at least one appeal in order to qualify, yeah. which is so much energy and money usually to work with an advocate or work with a lawyer or whatever. Like, mm. okay, that's a whole other mess. Basically. Yeah. It is. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So we've gotten to the present for you, and I feel like we've covered so many things as we've been going through it. Are there any big themes or ideas that you have that haven't come up yet that you can think of? Uh, That's a good question. Um, I think for me, I, I, so I wrote a blog post on this yesterday and I was, you know, as you do mulling it over and for me, figuring out where I actually gain energy what not just what depletes my energy because we spend a lot of time thinking about that Mm -hmm. but what actually builds my reserves back up Mm -hmm. what helps me feel more resilient what helps me you know because I think that's a a resource that we you have to reflect on Mm -hmm. and that's so powerful and for me something similar just so simple like having a playlist of music that just helps me feel more awake and alive and yeah. present having um uh, if it, migraines willing having flowers about mm-hmm. um as long as they're not too strong smelling yeah <laughs> um, <laughs> low uh, scent flowers oh, yeah not too full of pollen um spending time with company who understand that I may not have showered for three days. Yes. I may have no bra on and hand warmers and, you know, I may be covered head to toe in yep. woolly things. Uh, I may spend half the time scratching my hand because my eczema is flaring up. Yeah. Um, but just sit and talk to me for yeah. a bit. Just like, don't um, worry about it. I'm just yeah. living with it. Let's yeah. be here. Yeah, yeah. And I've got a couple of really close friends from uh, actually from university. And I think because they saw me pretty much at the the, the least well I've ever been, mm-hmm. they they just get it. Um, yeah. 
I think tapping into those energy resources um, is something that I've taken longer mm -hmm. over the process of my healing to to really understand about myself. Yeah. Um, for a long time, it was all about what it took from me and what I'd lost and actually just reflecting on what I've, what's got better, mm -hmm. how I'm a better person for it um, and how I can, um, how I can make choices. Yeah. Um, the power of just choice is yeah. a big thing for me. Yes. And I think something that really sticks out for me about that is like mm. some things I find absolutely like actually doing these interviews. I talk about it that way too. Doing these interviews gives me energy. I, yeah. I'm always able to do them. And that is such a gift for me because it totally, I like, I get super focused and I'm in it and I love doing them. Um, and then there are other things that will sometimes like really, uh, I don't even know what word I was going to use there, but like juice me up, like get me excited. Yeah. So I am currently at a stage in my life where I'm going to a lot of weddings. We have mm. like four coming up or three coming up. We had four last year. And I love weddings. Like, I really do. And for me, because of whatever, I don't live where I grew up. I don't live where I went to school. We have to travel for most of them. So it's an ordeal. And it's like a four, at least a four-day mm. ordeal. And I always need to rest after. But mm. also when I'm in that moment of like, we're at an event with people that we care about and we're celebrating. Doing that, I'm... I love. And so yeah. there's like, there, there is often a tension and learning to kind of accept that and try to navigate it of going, I'm making a choice to be here. Sometimes yeah. I'm making a choice to have alcohol, which I know for my body has, con has more consequences than it does yeah. <laughs> for other people. Like I can choose these things and enjoy this evening and everything that I get from it. And then I can give myself permission to rest after without feeling guilty. Yeah. So like shutting oh, off yeah. the feedback circle that says, you made you took a bunch of risks and now you're paying for it to be yeah. like you made a choice because it meant something to you and now you can like allow yourself to rest and that isn't to say yeah. that I'm always good at it but reframing oh yeah how that works is really important I think yeah yeah I I uh for for people uh, who may be listening, I am nodding throughout the whole yeah. of that because it is very very relatable. Um, the just because we, I I like to think of responsibility and the responsibility I have to myself and how I can, um, how I can proact be proactive with my with my body, um, but I like to think of that also with the lens of I have a responsibility to just be real with myself and human. Mm -hmm. And part of that is making, um, I don't like the word mistakes because they're not, Yeah. but making choices that I maybe know the rational part of me, maybe yeah. says uh, the logical part of me maybe says, do you know what? You know that I have the same thing. Alcohol. Maybe that doesn't, <laughs> yeah. you know, you don't react the best to that. Maybe when you climb up this hill, on this sunny day because uh, you really want to reach the top maybe you will be in more pain tomorrow for that mm -hmm. but the to me responsibility and choice is about being able to make those decisions and not like you said have that feedback loop mm -hmm. that says you caused this you're bad you're bad yeah, yeah. exactly yeah. Um, yeah and that that to me is is it's a it's a practice 
it's mm-hmm. a totally. skill it's a thing that I have to balance yeah yeah it's it, I don't know maybe it starts to come naturally I'm not there yet <laughs> I, I don't know if I, I I don't know if I ever will but yeah I think that's part of the fun yeah definitely mm. well um Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me, especially it's like late where you are. <laughs> I know, I've just realized that it's gone really dark here. Yeah, yeah, but, uh, no, that's, that's happened to me. Um, yeah, thank you so much for sharing um, and opening up about both your history and then your current, like what's working and what's not and mm. all of this stuff about the day-to-day. I think that's what's so important. Thank you. Thank you for listening to episode 38 of No End in Sight. You can find Sarah on Instagram and Twitter at Focus with Sarah. And you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Bennis B. You can find this show on Instagram at No End in Sight pod with periods where the spaces should be. I'm still slow on posts because I'm still behind on transcripts, but that will pick up again once those pick up again, which should be soon. I know I keep saying that, but I also keep meaning it. I'm working on them, and I don't know why I'm so slow right now. Or rather, I do know why. It's because I've had a lot of appointments, but I'm trying to get back into it. Next week, I'll be talking to a woman with type 1 diabetes, celiac, and colitis. So make sure you subscribe in your favorite podcast app to find out when new stories come out. As usual, don't forget that I have a small Facebook group called Chronic Hustlers for people living with chronic conditions who are self-employed. It's quiet but growing, and you'll even find a few podcast guests in the group. And finally, this podcast is supported by my cross-stitch company, Digital Artisanal. When I'm up for it, I make simple modern patterns that you'll actually want to hang in your home. I've done a lot of cross-stitching during flares as a way to feel productive when I'm just lying on the couch in front of the TV, but one of these days I'm going to make some new patterns to complement the spring, summer, and many icons that are on there right now. I'd love it if you checked us out at digitalartisanal.com. Thanks for listening.